Welcome, everyone, and thank you for taking the time to listen to the FortiGuard Labs Threat Intelligence Podcast. My name is Jonas, and once again, I'm joined by the man, the myth, the legend, Omar Lakani. Omar, my friend, how are you doing? Wow, with an introduction like that, how can I not be doing great? Despite the heat in Texas, uh, we're at 105 degrees today. I guess that's about 40 degrees Celsius. Uh, you know, Jonas, as they say, the heat in Houston, just like the cyber attacks, does not stop. I, I like this. I like this. Here in Singapore, it's the same. All year long, super hot. And talking about those threats, let's start off with a, with a big one from uh, news from yesterday regarding a critical vulnerability with a CVS severity score of 10 out of 10. It relates to a 17-year-old bug on Microsoft Windows DNS servers. Did you see this one already? Yeah, so let's let's make sure we understand what we're talking about. You said a CVSS score uh, out of ten out of ten. So what CVSS is? It means Common Vulnerability Scoring System. It's actually a standard or a framework that was created by First.org to rate how severe attacks are. To give you an example, WannaCry, which everyone remembers, I think was an eight or an eight point five. So with a score of ten out of ten, basically we're saying this is really really bad. Indeed, it's, it's, it's very bad, and it's about DNS. So why not give a quick example how, how DNS works? So let me, let me kick this off, and um, you can add whatever you like um, where it's necessary. So since it's a DNS vulnerability, it's something which uh, covers, uh, which, which is an issue for a lot of people, of course, since DNS is something which we heavily re rely on. It's like the, the phone book for, um, for computers, for websites. So if I, for example, own a website, let's call it Jonas the Security Guy, and I run it on an IP address on, on the internet, let's say just a random number like 202.10.15.11. So if anyone wants to visit this website, he doesn't really know which IP address is behind. So the first thing I do is I buy a domain from, for example, Namecheap.com or GoDaddy, just uh, pick one of these and tell them I will host this website by myself. And please just point this name to this IP address. So whenever an endpoint, for example, your computer sends a request to my domain, to jonasthesecurityguy.com, the DNS server sends it to the one which they have configured. Mostly it's Google's like 8888. And, um, this is something which might cause some problems since it's a new website. No one knows where it's reachable. So it's long story short, what, what happens is the DNS servers, they start asking higher level root domains, like uh, for example, that .com domain, and it will forward the request to the name cheap server one where it will say, okay, the IP address for Jonas the security guy is this IP address. And this information is provided back to 888, which provides it back to your endpoint. Yeah, Jonas, I think that's a good example. I kind of think about it as a phone book. You know, on, on, on my phone, I really don't remember anyone's number anymore. Jonas, I have no idea what your phone number is, but I have you in my favorites, and it says Jonas out there, and I click on Jonas, and it dials your number. I think that's what a good explanation of DNS is, is it's that translation of name or friendly name to a number. And in this case, it's the IP address of, of the website or whatever site you're going to, uh, whatever resource you're going to. Uh, uh, and that's that's all it is. It's a translation from name to number. And I think this is pretty interesting because this this vulnerability, it's being called a SIG red. And uh, 
once you understand a little bit in details about the vulnerability, it's it's uh, it's great that they chose that name. Uh, but but I think also it reminds me of the word code red because if you remember years ago, code red was a worm that came out, and I haven't seen a worm like a a bad worm, which is a type of malware that's come out in a long time. And just to refresh our audience's memory, what a worm is is it's malware that can propagate on its own with absolutely no user interaction. Once it finds a vulnerable system, it'll spread from vulnerable system to vulnerable system, which in turn really means the first system that's compromised kind of becomes like a super bug of like spreading out like bad information and malware. Yeah, very well explained, Tamar. Uh, I was first a little bit offended when you said you don't know my phone number, but you, you saved yourself when uh, telling me that I'm part of your favorites. So um, yeah, thanks for that. Um, yes, talking about... Um, the attack itself, it, you mentioned it's a worm. It's 17 years old. Um, 17 years old because I assume it's something which is a bug in Windows 2003 already and hasn't been really discovered since then. So if someone was aware about this and did not disclose this information, this is something which might have been ongoing for a very long time. But fortunately, some researchers found it, disclosed it, and it, Microsoft released uh, security patches and how would you prevent against this? What's your idea? Well, I think before we can discuss how to prevent against it, let's understand exactly how it works. Uh, what what happens is it actually triggers like a buffer overflow. And I know Jonas, like like you uh, really understand buffer overflow. Do you want to explain what it is? So buffer overflow has a lot of merits when it comes for to offensive security, since buffer overflow is an interesting concept where you throw some random code at a certain application. For example, let's take uh, an email application and you have a login field and you have a password field. And usually uh, application expects you to send a username and a password. And the password is, what is it? Like 16, 20 characters long usually. So what happens if you send a password which is like 2000 characters long and the application cannot handle it, and it's programmed in a way that it only takes a look at the first 20 characters. So buffer overflow can be a security issue when the sanitation is not done properly, and part of the code which you send in a password field will be executed and overrides memory inside the application. So you can basically use and send commands via some password fields in, a, in an application. Yeah, absolutely right. Just to recap what you're saying is when you send information, when you send data to an application, it reserves a spot in memory to accept that information. And it reserves a spot that's big enough or large enough uh, to accept information that it is accepting. But if you send more information than what it accepts and there isn't any type of error check or bounds check or something like that, then what happens is it takes the information that you've sent in, plus it overflows to an adjacent area in memory and writes that information as well. So a lot of times overriding what's already in there, probably important data. Now, what happens in this case is if you sent a, when, when the DNS server gets a DNS query back uh, to 
you know, to the DNS server, what happens is an attacker could essentially put something malicious, like a malicious program or a malicious payload. So the program is large enough where you have the legitimate request going into memory where it's supposed to go into, but the second part of that data is too large, so it gets put over to an adjacent piece of memory. And what the DNS server does is it executes that piece of code. So it executes the bad malicious code that the attacker has sent to it. And all of a sudden that code can be anything like a reverse shell or a reverse malware or anything to that. Um, yeah, you know, anything to that degree. Yeah. So it's, it's a very similar concept like uh, buffer overflows. And when I did buffer overflows, the first thing to prevent this was usually just have a look at the memory and protect the memory itself. Do you see similarities here when it comes to prevent against these attacks, or is there anything else which you would recommend? Well, you know, when you asked what you, what you can do to prevent this attack, and I know you had asked this earlier as well, the best way to prevent against these attacks is to, is to update the system. Um, you know, Microsoft has released uh, a patch for the system. Uh, they, they have released a way to prevent this attack, so everyone should be protecting against this attack by updating their systems. Let's also not forget that most DNS servers, or at least a lot of DNS servers, are also domain controllers. When you run this attack, it runs as the DNS service, which means that it's running as an admin user. But if you're on a domain controller, that technically, or that could be a domain admin user, which means at that point, someone's running this attack, ha takes advantage of this vulnerability. When they exploit the system, they're an admin or a domain admin, which essentially means they have keys to the kingdom at this point. I think that's a, it's a very good point, Amar, which you bring up, because this is usually the issue when someone exploits certain applications. It often depends on what kind of user is actually running this application. And since it's a system or administrator in this case, this means once the application is exploited, you immediately have privileged, um, uh, privileged access, which means there is not even a need for privilege escalation, etc. So as, as always, we obviously recommend to patch those systems as fast as possible. And I've seen that Microsoft released uh, a patch already. So Hopefully, this can be installed as, as fast as possible. Nevertheless, I've seen a, a lot of DNS stuff recently being exploited in the wild. And I also find a very interesting blog called um, Into the Rabbit Hole, um, which was written by you on our Fortinet website. Can you elaborate a bit what's, what's it all about, about this DNS tunneling blog? Yeah, Into the Rabbit Hole was a blog that Fortigard Labs had uh, released. And uh, and it, what it is, is it's around DNS tunneling. So we've seen DNS attacks for a long time. And DNS tunneling is another example of a DNS attack that's actually a very difficult attack to detect. Uh, what DNS tunneling does is it essentially, um, it, 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 it essentially, an attacker will essentially register a domain. They'll go, go whatever, like baddomain.com, whatever domain that they want. When you register a domain, you have to specify what the assortive DNS server is. You have to basically say, what is the server? What is the IP address of the server that's going to control all the name and everything pertinent to this uh, domain? And what an attacker will do is that the server that they'll choose is a malicious server. So when you know I'm, I'm on my computer and I want to go to baddomain.com, I go to my DNS server. My DNS server goes, I don't know where baddomain.com is, 
where is it? And then it'll be, he'll basically ask the assorted DNS server, who's the assorted DNS server, where is baddomain.com? When he asks a sort of DNS server who is baddomain.com, essentially that DNS server will start tunneling or encapsulating malicious data uh, back to the client. There's usually a client piece and a server piece to it as well, but it creates a tunnel and it, it basically creates, that's exactly what it does, is it creates a tunnel or software transport system that allows an attacker to go ahead and take control of a PC just using DNS queries. Interesting, very interesting. So if I understand you correctly, one of the big reasons why DNS tunneling attacks actually work is because of organizations are not filtering those outbound going requests. You know, it's true to a certain extent. Uh, filtering DNS outbound does help. There is DNSing, DNS proxying, but that by itself doesn't prevent the attack, 100% attack. Actually, it can get a lot more complicated as well. So it's difficult to detect. You really do need to actually do deep inspection on DNS traffic to really look at the attacks. And it gets even more difficult because DNS traffic can be encrypted while it's uh, while it's in the tunnel as well. So you have to break that encryption and look for uh, you know things that are out there. For example, a lot of attackers will basically do command and control commands within uh, the TXT um, query type in DNS. So if you see a lot of TXT query types, you can do things like uh, you know statistical analysis. There's other ways to detect this attack, not just blocking outbound or filtering outbound attacks or proxying DNS. Very interesting. And uh, if any one of you is interested in reading a detailed review about this whole blog, feel free to find it on the Fortinet website. So once again, thanks, Amar. It was an interesting talk with you, this time mainly focused on DNS vulnerabilities and critical points to consider when using it. And hopefully you had as much fun as I did. And I hope to see you again soon in the next FortiGuard Labs Threat Intelligence Podcast. Always my friend. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you, Amar. And thanks, everyone, for listening in. We are out.